Welcome to the Film Geek Collective. Today I'm going to be reviewing When Harry Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally was released in 1989 and runs 96 minutes. Remarkably, the end credits only run three and a half. Not common these days. It stars Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan, Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby. Now, before I go on, I would like to uh, say something. So, this episode was inspired by the fact that I was looking through Letterboxd and uh, I was looking through Twitter and then I saw that... uh, my uh, good Twitter friend Tessa, one of her favourite films is When Harry Met Sally. And so I thought, well, why don't I just say that uh, that's going to be my next episode? Because it's on, it's on Stan. If you don't know, Stan is an Aussie streaming service for those international. Uh, so anyway, I, I watched this movie and it, I ended up really liking it. Oh, and before I get properly into this, it is Lucy's birthday. Elsie Cool, Lucy's birthday. So uh, here goes. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Lucy, happy birthday to you, and many more. (laughs) Eh, that actually wasn't bad. Anyway, so let's get right into When Harry Met Sally. I will do the shoutouts at the end of the episode. This will be an explicit episode, not nearly as uh, explicit as my Wolf of Wall Street one was last time. Uh, apologies for the delay. I was really working on that one over, well, I, I released it early, uh, today, technically, because I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't keep pausing a three-hour movie continue. Anyway, so When Harry Met Sally released in 1989 and runs 60, sorry, 96 minutes. Remarkably, the end credits only run three and a half, not common these days. It stars Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan, Carrie Fisher, and Bruno Kirby. Spoiler alert for the entire movie, you have been warned. So a low-key casual mood is set very quickly, yet it remains classy with a jazzy piano and drum score over austere credits. This isn't the type of film that needs flashy visuals. Now, while I'm, while I'm on photography, Barry Sonnenfeld, the film's cinematographer, would go on to direct The Addams Family, The Addams Family Values, and The Men in Black trilogy, among some other films. Sometimes you start smaller to get to your ultimate goal. Persistence is key. <coughs> Yeah, I've been coughing a lot, forgive me. Um, immediately, we cut to an interview of an elderly married couple. You need to set the tone with your film, and the opening minutes feature a calm, jazzy score that lulled the viewer into almost a fairy tale at the University of Chicago, 1977. Only we know that the film splits itself apart from the pack from the moment Sally pulls in with a pale yellow car, glances over, then takes a second to clear her throat twice, breaking up any potential schmaltz. Perhaps the film sets itself up for an unsentimental approach, much like life. These these notes were constructed as I was watching the movie, by the way, so yeah. If it seems like I hadn't seen the rest of the movie by that point, you'd be correct, but I've seen the whole movie. And anyway, so this nonverbal moment is a great thing. We quickly know Sally is very particular with her habits, and that her dream is to go to journalism school. Uh, Quite literally, the car Harry and Sally drive in is a drive for a better life, and every good film must have a drive of some sort. Harry is cynical and neurotic, but Sally's a polar opposite. Immediately, we have an interesting dynamic, also because they have such similar interests and discussions. They're both open about everything, to the point that Sally discusses sex in a restaurant, and it's not the scene you're thinking just yet. <laughs> the characters and stories that are the most interesting involve a mix of fabrication and reality, even if it skews more toward one than the other. See also one of Rob Reiner's other films he directed, The Princess Bride. 
Uh, yes, uh, you may have also seen Rob Reiner as uh, Jordan Belfort's father in The Wolf of Wall Street, nicknamed Mad Max. So yeah, there's that too. So restaurant scenes in films are easier to write than they are to film. A sit-down with a basic shot-reverse-shot technique, over the shoulder in this case. They were obviously open with each other, not embarrassed to discuss if a man named Sheldon is a guy to have great sex with. <coughs> yeah, so that's before she gets interrupted by the waitress, and she describes in detail her meal, keeping her characterization completely consistent. You're a very attractive person, Harry says. Now, this is the this is the beginning turning point to this particular film, a complication, where a confused Harry says, can't a man say a woman is attractive without being a come-on? In 15 minutes, your character's personalities, the premise, and the dialogue are all firmly established in our minds, the whole style of the film, and we want more. Unlike the usual buddy comedy dynamic, here we have two people that, who could potentially, you know, take it further, which wonderfully blends two genres. I mean, one day, who knows, uh, there could be a gay version of this, you know, that'd be, that'd actually be pretty cool. So anyway, it wonderfully uh, blends two genres, body comedy and romantic comedy, even to those who may not particularly or usually care for romantic comedies. I kind of count myself in that, because a lot of them are just a bit too cliched for me, I guess. So anyway, um, by the way, when I said something about uh, having a, a, like a gay version of this film, I don't mean remake this film. I would never say remake this film. I just mean, what if they tried to blend genres to similar success? but with, with a gay couple or a lesbian couple, you know? It'd take it beyond the dynamic of just bros hanging out or, or just uh, women hanging out, you know? That sort of thing. Because it tends to be platonic between the genders, you know? Anyway, I'm getting off track there. It's just a bit of a tangent. So yeah, the first 14 minutes and uh, 19 seconds of this film could legitimately be its own short film and work as its own thing. Like, in the tradition that something starts as a short film and becomes something more. That wasn't the case for this movie, but it was for Whiplash, which did a variation of that, using one scene toward the beginning of the actual film of Whiplash. So, back to when Harry met Sally. Five years later, and a couple's making out before Harry just walks past them, initially ignores them, but then seeing it's uh, Sally and a new guy named Joe. Harry and Joe are friends, however. Sally needn't say a word, and much is said as it is unsaid. Sally averts her gaze and, at the end of the conversation, nods once as if to recognise him. She only speaks when he's gone, telling the story quickly to Joe about what happened in the first 15 minutes. The romantic comedy formula in this film is broken perfectly. It's subverted and it's not subverted, which I'll get to later in the outline. They ultimately, quote-unquote, meet three times. I've said it before in analysis, and I'll say it again. What's the worst thing that can happen? The aeroplane scene being from Sally's perspective, where Harry gets the opportunity to sit next to her after he asks the stronger... Sorry, <clears throat> the stranger sitting next to her kindly. Ah, shit, I muddle up words sometimes. Uh, re <laughs> repetitions also key in this film. Initially hearing the same story feels redundant, but, but each time the memory of the fateful day slips away a little bit in bits and pieces. Forgetting Harry's girlfriend's name was Amanda, mispronouncing Reese as rice. Oh, I had rice tonight. You know, rice is actually one of my favourite foods. Rice and a nice, uh, oh, I could really do with a fish fillet. I know it's 10.23 at night now, but okay. Um, <coughs> so Harry keeps pestering at Sally, but Sally just says goodbye. The film so far is quite episodic in structure. It becomes less so in the second half. 
I mean, elderly couples are interspersed throughout the film talking about love stories, maybe the ideals, but then the film shows something else in the picture. Not ideal, not completely cynical, but something in between, a happy medium, I'd say. So again, five years later, and we see Carrie Fisher? She kind of acts like a voice of reason here, or at least a voice of snark. But to make a move now, or know that someone else is married to your husband. So Sally has broken up with Joe, and Harry's getting a trial separate, no, a divorce, out of a loveless marriage with Helen. Also, Harry's scene gives us the fantastic quip. This is why I made the podcast episode explicit, to do with the new guy Helen is dating. And uh, Jess, his friend, is saying, uh, it's just a symptom that something is wrong. Before before Harry retorts, well, that symptom is fucking my wife. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry, that, that line is just oh, fucking hilarious. Oh, it's, it's really great that a film, you know... On a sort of a separate note, it's it's really great that a film doesn't show men talking to each other and women talking to each other as cartoonishly as, say, Greece, which has its place in movie history, sure. But here we get equally great depictions of same gender and opposite gender conversations. I guess it also depends on scenario, because Greece had a lot of peer pressure. But you know what I mean, right? You know what I mean. So I just love the fact that Sally and Marie... Carrie Fisher's character, stand behind such lovely books in the bookstore as making life right when it feels all wrong and cold feet. <laughs> Harry, across the store, stares over <coughs> at Sally, but Marie notices him with a suspicious glare. Marie and Sally discuss Harry and that he's married and how obnoxious he is, but Marie guesses maybe Harry isn't married anymore in a nice case of dramatic irony. I, I mean, it's one of those situations, I guess. Well, they don't know. Anyway, they also point out their own cliche, mentioning one movie where a woman says the man's the most contemptible, and then they fall in love. <laughs> also, he never remembers me, Sally says. Of course, cue Billy Crystal right in front of her. Now, that's a way to both use and subvert an old cliche. I love it when movies do that. In the very next scene, <coughs> Sally tells of several couples who are in different states, whether they don't have sex or they don't have or they don't have kids, or just various things like that, or even even the freedoms of marriage and how it's hard to keep fulfilling the marriages. Don't worry, Twitter, I will check you after I record and publish, I promise. So yeah, both are somewhat disillusioned, but Sally's convinced she did the right thing, divorcing Joe, not missing him. Now time does mellow both Sally and Harry, but ultimately after they become friends again. They definitely have most of the same things in common, but they are a different point in life now. But that's, that's a great progression of a quiet but fulfilling character arc. And it's only 35 minutes in as of that note. What more is to come? So Harry's alone. Sally is surrounded by dancers. A great, but obviously, it's obvious in hindsight that it's a visual indicator for that sort of thing. Um, yeah, anyway. Uh, so right after that, they're both watching Casablanca together. They're watching the end of it. But I won't, I deliberately will not spoil Casablanca because I think I mentioned in a prior episode, even if it's a really old film and seemingly everyone knows that there may be one person who hasn't seen it yet, all I'll say is that they're watching the end of Casablanca. So it's a great use of split screen in this scene in When Harry Met Sally, as if Harry and Sally sit on the same couch watching the end of this movie. It's so separate, yet so close. Even better when she turns the light out at her end, a quiet moment where he's alone again, watching TV, the entire right side blacked out. Ah, visual storytelling. Subtle, but effective. 
Now, remember how I said the thing about same and opposite gender conversations? The film acknowledges that and goes a step further to imply that a couple who dates can also be really good friends. Uh, as if that weren't obvious already, George. <laughs> now, not to mention Sally saying through the film she wants to be friends with Harry. The film is filled with great conversations, including the... Uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, I've come up to the part with the famous scene where Sally fakes her orgasm. <laughs> she's... she's... <laughs> <laughs> I agree with the other woman. I'll have what she's having. <laughs> and it's interesting. I, I sense this pattern. Every time the film goes between segments, there are couples holding hands or, or being happy, including those intervals of... of I'm sorry. <laughs> of old couples. But in the middle of the film, there's always a bigger turning point. I'm sorry, just going back to that scene, I love the way she starts subtly and he wonders if she's okay and then she goes oh, 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 and just thumps the table. <laughs> <coughs> okay, um, but serious now. Okay, um, so it's interesting. I sense this pattern. Every time the film goes between segments, there are couples holding hands or being happy including those intervals of old couples. But in the middle of the film, there's always a bigger turning point. Many films will have this, whether they're three-act or a film of duality, like A Clockwork Orange or The Shining, or Stanley Kubrick seems to be good at that, actually. Uh, many films will have this, raise the stakes for the second half, change the game, but in a believable manner, in a natural progression. That is, if you're not an experimental film. So, you know, the song in the background even says something about, what, making lovers from friends? Then something that happens in movies, should old acquaintance be forgot, is the lyric in the next song. Ironic, considering they briefly ki kiss on the lips at a New Year's party. Then after they finish, the film freeze frames before fading out. But this is not the end, there is more. We have to explore this territory. <laughs> now the writing style of this film is quite unique. Definitely the voice of Nora Ephron. I think that Nora Ephron has passed away now. Oh, sorry for her loss. Okay, so, going into the movie again. So it's definitely her voice, and, and yet, it fits the same style as Seinfeld or the conversational scenes of Pulp Fiction, if both were moulded more for a romantic comedy, of course, you know? Good composition as Harry is set up with Marie, and uh, Sally is set up with Harry's friend, Jess. Harry and Marie are turned away and on the very edges of the frame. You know, their shoulders are barely in the frame. And uh, Sally and Jess are near the middle. Now, it's not, uh, it's not a widescreen frame. Like, there's no black bars at the top and bottom, or it's not a wider image. It's just a normal, close to what you'd see on a current TV. That's the aspect ratio, the frame of this film. 185 to 1 for those who are technical. Um, then each of them are given single shots. Of course, Marie gets along better with Jess after Jess reveals himself to have written a line Marie borrows from a magazine. I also love that outside of the restaurant in the midground, not the background because the closest shot to that shot has to a background are walls between the windows at the side that extend into frame, that in the midground you have uh, Sally talking with her friend, in the foreground you have Billy Crystal and his friend. So yeah, I thought that was interesting that they can ignore each other and be so close. I know some of the remarks may seem obvious, but I'm still getting better at this, and with <coughs> everyone is getting better at what they do creatively, alright? So, please bear with me. <laughs> so, anyway, um, yeah. There's another case of dramatic irony, of course. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 
Um, Sally does not want Marie to reject Harry, but Harry isn't interested in Marie in the other conversation. Of course, Harry and Sally get stuck together as Jess hails a taxi. After an interval, cut to four months later where they're singing at a karaoke machine in the store, right before Helen, his uh, ex-wife, Harry's ex-wife, walks in and we see her for the first time, built up after quite a reputation. I assume this will be less confusing because you're most likely, you've most likely seen the film if you're listening to this. So consistent with the facts, Harry is very sarcastic when he says, Nice to meet you, Ira. Cue a dramatic moment slightly later for the usually unflappable Harry, usually so jaded, staring out of a window in an extended shot. Hey, that actually reminds me of a certain movie with Timothy Chalamet, I think. I won't say, I won't say what, because it'd be giving away too much. But okay, so anyway... Slightly blurred in the background are uh, Sally, Jess, and Marie. Jess and Marie subtextually argue about whether the house looks good or not. Then Harry channels his anger through thinly veiling the fact that he had an argument like this with Helen. Then he ends up singing a song in front of Ira, Helen's new husband from before. That thing I mentioned uh, before, though, of course. So Harry leans into an extremely cynical bent on marriage. He even insults a table that Jess thought he liked. Carrie Fisher gives the scene a bit of levity, saying... You know, I will never want that wagon wheel coffee table. <laughs> oh, I miss Carrie Fisher so, so much. Don't we all? So anyway, um, Harry then becomes jealous that Sally never gets annoyed. But this is the moment that they get into a massive argument before Harry apologises. Obviously, both are to blame to some extent. Him with his temper, her with her unnatural idealism. I'm willing to bet the ends of the film will place him at a happy medium. Actually, I was right. <laughs> so, um, Sally ends up inconsolable after her ex, Joe, gets married, even after Joe said he didn't want to be married. Harry's cynicism, <coughs> in my opinion, has pushed Sally too far into the other end. But now he reassures her that she should not compromise her personality. They're obviously not exactly the same as they were. Nice callback in this scene. Now, Sally, sorry, <coughs> I did it again. I'm sorry. Uh, sometimes I stumble, but, you know, little flaws keep me human. Sally? Sally asks Harry, toward the beginning, how long he should hold a woman after sex. 30 seconds or all night, Harry answers, but I don't think he'd answer that now. So, he holds her and they finally have sex. Off-screen sex, but sex. It's appropriate that it's off-screen in this instance, for we need to focus on the holding after, not the act. Sex can be shown, but it's skillfully restrained and implied here. Also note how idealised elderly couples are shown after each fade-out, but not this time, for it would take us out of the moment. So, Sally wakes up, sans Harry. Harry's just getting dressed at the door, getting ready for work, but he promises he'll call her later. Only a screenwriter and a movie of this calibre could make Harry have a believable tension consistent with his core. Sorry, um, tension? And ditto for Sally. Well, I didn't mean tension. You know what I mean. A believable uh, character change. You know what I mean, okay? They think about how they think it was a mistake, but it was still great, and they tell each other that. Marie and Jess get married, and Harry and Sally only make small talk. Until they don't. They blow into a huge fucking argument where Harry does not think that sex means everything. Sa Sally, clearly unimpressed, says, fuck you, and slaps him. The, they are toasted regardless in the wedding ceremony in the other room in the third example of dramatic irony. 
It's Harry that attempts to call Sally with his light fixture hanging just above his head in and in his apartment in the case of both great central composition and drawing attention to the subject immediately. Bonus points that the middle is where we typically look first. In scenes where the focus is toward the left or right, extras will be seen looking over the appro- in the appropriate direction, but it was better to go with central framing here, nothing flashy, nothing that distracts from the drama. Now, Harry has only himself to talk to, in his head. Contrast with Sally, who is talking to many. It's obvious now that I describe it, but it's a great use of polar opposites, and not even to do with personalities this time. So, Harry runs through the streets, and into the same building Sally's in. He's running like hell, running, 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 and he appeals to Sally's nature by describing her quirks as things he loves. Aww. And at this point, I'm just so afraid they're going to break up that I really need to get together. And why am I rooting for a rom-com couple so damn much? (laughs) Anyway, uh, they end up kissing. And when we hear narration over the party, the last interview of the film is not some old couple. But it's Harry and Sally. They mention they get married. And then the film ends in the perfect moment. That perfect moment. It's emotional and yet realistic and not schmaltzy. Yeah... I can't say the same for Pretty Woman. I really didn't like Pretty Woman. Uh, So to sum it up, they never change at their core, but they change enough to call it a satisfying character arc without compromising an ounce of integrity. And yeah, so I'm going to uh, say that I really, really liked this film. I've been seeing some good romantic films. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, When Harry Met Sally. Um, One that's not as good, but is still good. uh, Love, Simon. Uh, my favourite romantic trilogy, if you're wondering, is of course the Before Trilogy, where it's literally just a series of conversations, but it, uh, you know, more existential conversations. It has even less of a story, like, sure, when Harry Met Sally has a plot, uh, a very basic plot, but the Before Trilogy, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight, they have just a very loose structure. It makes When Harry Met Sally look like the film with uh, as much plot as Little Women or something like that. So anyway, yeah. Now I am uh, going to do the shout-outs without further ado. Who am I kidding? I'll get the real music on. Running gag now. (laughs) (coughs) All right. Shout-out to Mary Amber, Pat Cat. Tessie Cat, Elsie Cool, Autistic in Melbourne, Ashy Slashy, aka Ashley Northy, Heavenly Imagine, Larry1937-2621, Real Sharks Podcast, aka Riri Jaku, uh, Dev Diner, and I would also like to shout out Marbella Unicorn, and I would like to shout out Talk Me Into, at Talk Me Into, I would finally like to shout out Schlock Luster Video, because, hey, <laughs> they deserve a shout out too, and I hope to give them more shout outs in the future. So anyway... Uh, I was going to say that uh, I really I really love that all you guys are supporting me, particularly you, Real Sharks. I will always, always do anything for you. All right? You guys are the best. And, uh, you know, all you guys are the best. I really shouldn't put a best label on anyone. So anyway, we need your voice because you can change things for the better.